from electronic fuel injection to the power sports toys that fuel your weekends, join Walbro each month for Talk and Shop as we discuss all the machines that make life better. Hey everyone, welcome to another fresh episode of Talk and Shop by Walbro. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Through the years, Walbro has offered custom fuel pump solutions for outdoor power equipment, like their WIP and FPC models. Each new pump offers new features and higher performance, and that emphasis on higher performance is more important today than ever, with the conversation around emissions becoming one of national importance. And even though they're small, outdoor power equipment tools contribute to our problematic evaporative emissions. What we're breaking down today might be the next step forward for reducing those evaporative emissions. I'd like to welcome Bob McHugh, Channel Marketing Director at Walboro. Bob, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Daniel. It's good to be back. Thank you for having me back. Yeah, this is you're, you're now a two-timer, so you're a veteran of the podcast industry. How does it feel? I hope to get the trifecta and get invited <laughs> back for a third. So let's hope this goes well. Yeah, well, we'll have to we'll have to see. I don't know, Bob. <laughs> but I love it. Yeah, no, this is going to be a great podcast and I'm really looking forward to getting your insights on this topic. Uh, really because, you know, not only does it affect your industry, but like I set up, it really does impact the world. You know, that might sound a, a little grand, but um, these small technological changes and improvements do have a very tangible effect on really how we assess our carbon footprint as individuals, as companies, everything. So I'm excited to get your thoughts on all this. Um, I think we need to start with the issue of evaporative emissions and just clear up what that means, how it affects the environment, when they happen, all that good stuff. So Let's start there. Where do they happen during the fuel consumption process? Where do we actually see evaporative emissions happen? Well, it's, it's a very good point. And, and I go back to when I was a kid and automobiles had carburetors, you could sit at a stoplight and you could see the emissions coming right off the top of the hood. And that was because there was a bowl of fuel sitting there. Well, today's fuel-injected cars, you don't see that anymore. So the next thing then they looked at were fuel tanks. And this is the same progression that is in the outdoor power equipment industry. The ground support product lawn and garden tractors predominantly are carbureted. Walbro's moving customers into fuel injection, but sitting under the hood of that engine, say it's a lawn and garden tractor or a ZTR mower, is a carburetor with a fuel bowl. There is evaporative emissions coming out of that. Now, it may not be as visible because there's not as much fuel, but just the same, there is evaporative emissions, and that's just what it means. Through the heat, that the, the emissions are evaporating out into the atmosphere. Along with the carburetor, then there's the fuel tank, and then as Walbro continues to want to be the provider of the lowest emission solutions, we looked at what's called an impulse pump, and that's what we're talking about today. These are very small fuel pumps that they operate off the impulse of the engine, and they drive the fuel. So you can have a lawn and garden tractor that will have a fuel tank sitting behind you or you're actually sitting on it and you need to push that fuel to the engine so we're getting evaporative emissions out of the fuel tank you're sitting on 
and the fuel pump and the carburetor. So Walbro's going after all these items through our multi-layer fuel tanks, the fuel pumps, and the carburetors as people switch to electronic fuel injection. Hmm. And how do evaporative emissions play into the larger conversation of curbing emissions? Do they contribute a lot to that issue? Um, you know, I guess, how do they stack up to other kinds of emissions? As automobiles have gotten cleaner, then they're looking at the next sources. And I mean, we've all heard the crazy story about the emissions out of cows, let's say. Well, that's methane gas. It is the same concept. Everything is giving off some emissions. So as they lower the evaporative emissions in other industries, suddenly these other industries pop up. So for a long time, as automobiles got cleaner and then they went after on-the-road diesel trucks, etc., then they would make comments to the effect of, well, don't forget all these lawnmowers, what they're doing. So as I just had said earlier, as Walbro wants to be on that leading edge of evaporative emissions, we continue to go after all of these evaporative emission items to try to be the industry leader in that. And this FPF fuel pump is our next product to curb some of those evaporative emissions. And I know often this issue of evaporative emissions is directly linked to the kind of engine and how efficient that engine is. Um, Have you seen any recent changes to engines for outdoor power equipment that maybe exacerbated this problem with evaporative emissions? And by recently, I mean maybe in the last five to ten years even. As we looked at what contributes to the evaporative emissions, what we found were carburetors accounted for about 40% of the evaporative emissions The fuel tank or a fuel canister was about 31%, and then the fuel pump about 29%. So it's a pretty even split. It's not that there's one big smoking gun. So as companies are going slowly to electronic fuel injection, because that's a big ticket item when you switch from a carburetor to electronic fuel injection, it's much easier to take on this fuel pump because they're lower cost items. And it's a one-for-one swap. We're not changing the technology. Changing from a carburetor to electronic fuel injection is a major kind of a you know redesign for the OE manufacturers of the engines. These fuel pumps, the changes we're making, it directly backfits. So really to the customer, it's a win-win. They don't, ha- they don't have to redesign. We're giving them a cleaner fuel pump. It's a lighter fuel pump in weight by 23%. And we're keeping cost in line, if not hopefully getting a cost reduction. That's our goal. Do you think there's enough education to the end user around this style of emissions? You know, do, do they know that when they're customizing their equipment or, you know, when they want to replace the fuel pump on their lawnmower or their golf cart, you know, uh, do they know to look at the fuel pump specifically for curbing evaporative emissions? You know, is that is that on their mind or do you not really see consumers talking about that much? No, we, we do not see consumers talking that. We certainly have the original equipment manufacturers talking about it. It isn't their number one item at this point. So really what we're doing, this new fuel pump, we're looking at taking on the incumbent who 
commands almost half of the market volume. And, and Walbro is, you know, a still a major player, but as we introduce better products and a much more focused approach to the market, we feel that this will really get us moving into that leadership position, which is where we want to be, meaning leadership from a technology, leadership from a price perspective, and then being a North America-based company for much of this product, we would warehouse the product here in North America and have it available quickly for those customers. All right, I feel like the conversation has naturally kind of started leaning towards Walbro's product specifically, so let's go ahead and, and lean into that. Um, you know, I'd like to get a perspective on the kinds of fuel pumps we've seen during Walbro's history. I mentioned a few during my intro, so your, your WIP FPC, and eventually we're going to be chatting about your FPF fuel pump. So let's break that down a bit. What has the history of fuel pumps been during you know Walbro's lifespan, and how do your specific products reflect changes in fuel pumps generally in the industry? Sure. And I actually went one step further, Daniel. I went back into the Wayback Vault and found the original fuel pump in our system was called an Autopulse or a 3000 series fuel pump. It was released back in 1968. I think it was through an acquisition where Walbro acquired a company by the name of Autopulse because that's what it was known as. It was a metal fuel pump. So it, it would have looked very much like the the Walbro impulse pump or the whip or the FPC that we'll talk about, but metal. So obviously back then that was perceived as what was necessary for the market. A couple of diaphragms, very common. So the actual innards of these pumps probably haven't changed that considerably. I mean, you need diaphragms to drive, you know, take the impulse of the engine and drive the fuel. So the Autopulse was the first one in 1968. In 1988, which is when I started with Walbro, there was the new Walbro Impulse Pump. We called it the Whip. Went from the metal to plastic, and it was a square pump. So that was the a major change for Walbro to go from the metal to the plastic. We learned a lot in that process and brought that to market. And about the time we did that, we... I, I made reference to that industry leader who also had a square pump. They suddenly went to a round pump, which is our FPC pump. So as the market has changed, and it's not that Walbro's followed, we're always working on the next iteration. But lo and behold, we brought out our whip pump. We built that until about 04. And then the FPC came out. Now that pump, we did a nice video where we show the FPC is a round pump. It has four screws, four nuts. Uh, imagine assembling it much like a sandwich. You just kind of stack up the layers, screw it together, and it's a complete pump. Same concept, plastic pump with the, uh, the diaphragms and a spring. Now we're morphing to the FPF pump. And what is unique about the FPF pump, we're doing away with the nuts and the bolts. Um, it is now stacked inside of literally a housing where then they're putting on, a, in essence, a top plate and they're sonic welding or ultrasonically welding that. So they're getting 
a consistent weld around the surface of that fuel pump. And that's a, a, a better uh, solution for the evaporative emission side of it because you have a seal all the way around. The FPC with the screws and the, and the nuts, that was perfect. It's just one more path to uh, handle evaporative emissions with this ultrasonic welding. And we do ultrasonic welding in many other processes within our plant. So it's not that that's a new technology for Walbro. And now with your newest product, your FPF fuel pump, the main mission is to focus on curbing those evaporative emissions. Um, you know, is is that really what motivated the design change for this new pump, or is there anything else with this model that is also trying to improve f- efficiency for outdoor power equipment? Well, the actual goal was to make it better with the ethanol content in the fuel pumps, which we talked about during our last podcast, which is ethanol content going up from E10 to E15, and we know E85 or flex fuel is out there. The goal was to come up with the diaphragm materials that would allow that, and that's what this fuel pump offers. We have, I think it's five different iterations that Iteration one is using kind of our standard diaphragms today. That is good for E10. And then through additional diaphragms or improved diaphragm materials, we're able to uh, step that up to E15 and then all the way up to E85. So that was the real goal. And then along with it, by going with the ultrasonic welding, we were able to then improve on the evaporative emissions along with being able to withstand higher ethanol content. So currently, E10 is kind of the standard. Now, the president has signed a bill that I believe will allow E15 in kind of normal uh, pump gas. Now, once it goes to E15, now you're damaging the existing products that are out there, be it diaphragms in our cubic carburetors on chainsaws, the diaphragms that are in these impulse pumps, those all become, uh, you know, suspect as that ethanol content goes up. So we were trying to stay ahead of that curve. That's why the original design was taken on to be able to withstand that higher ethanol content. And then the, the added benefit was taking on going with uh, factory automation on this fuel pump to help control manufacturing costs. And then uh, also, again, back to the evaporative emissions with the improved diaphragms. So how does the ability to handle a higher ethanol content and the fact that with the improved diaphragm, you know, curbing evaporative emissions, how does that improve the literal performance of this outdoor power equipment? Because I think that is a, a big motivator, too. I mean, clearly you want stuff that is going to be nicer to our environment. But I think at the end of the day, when you're dealing with this kind of technology, uh, performance is really at the key of the conversation. Well, the, the fuel pumps will be able to handle any fuel flow that's necessary. So it isn't that we're trying to move additional quantities of fuel just, you know, for lawn and garden equipment. 
the the key again is not having damage to the equipment because the consumer, like we spoke, do they understand evaporative emissions? No, they don't. But they also don't understand the ethanol content in their product or in their gasoline. So we want to make it fail safe so when that consumer goes and buys that E15 fuel, they're not causing damage to their product. They don't like learning that they thought they were doing the right thing buying just normal pump gas, but they missed that that higher ethanol content is now in their uh, fuel and they're causing damage. So we just want to make it where they don't even have to think about it. Then it's up to the OEs. Do they want their fuel pumps to be able to withstand E15, E25, or all the way up to E85? And there may be one other level in there. I forget if it if we have one that's like E50 compliant. I'd have to look here. Yeah, no, it's, it's E25. So it, it's taking it to E15, E25, or E50. Yeah, clearly you want to create a product that lives within the larger system, right? The the lawnmower, the the golf cart that is not going to get in the way of consumers uh, not really understanding the intricacies of fuel. Yeah, because I don't, I don't think the average consumer does, and educating them is probably a longer task than developing a product that can just withstand most types of fuel that would go in that outdoor power equipment. Um, and something else that's unique about the manufacturing for Walbro's fuel pump is that you manufacture them in Japan, which isn't known for cheap production costs. So why, when going overseas, did Walbro decide to go for Japan and not a country that might reduce costs on manufacturing? That's an excellent question, Daniel, because when I saw the original proposal where our current fuel pumps manufactured, the FPC pump is manufactured in Mexico. We have a fabulous plant in Mexico, and we locate our manufacturing plants close to our customers. So many of our customers for handheld product, and when I say handheld, I'm talking chainsaw, string trimmers, or ground support, which would be lawn and garden tractors. North America, a lot in southern uh, in the southern part of the United States, the eastern seaboard, etc., and obviously Mexico. So that is where we chose to manufacture the FPC pump. And that pump was moved, I believe, out of Japan, and that goes way back, Japan or China. So we moved it closer to the market where more of the product was selling. Well, when the proposal came through, we have two design centers within Walboro. One is in North America in Michigan, and then the other one is in Kokuda, Japan, or Miyagi. The Japanese group took on the design of the fuel pump, and then typically they would hand it off to a manufacturing plant. Well, they put a proposal together to... First of all, go with what we will call semi-automation to test out the design of the fuel pump, making sure the sonic welding, uh, the ultrasonic welding works fine. They would go through the PPAP, which is the production part approval process. And at that point, they said, we will take the equipment down for about two months and then fully automate the equipment. And that's where we're at right now. And sure enough, 
they took the assembly down and are going through that fully automated line. And I think there's one or two people that will man the assembly line, but they have brought pricing in at exactly what they said would be their pricing, which is comparable, if not slightly less than our low cost countries. So very happy with that. And our Japanese group is excellent with debugging equipment, getting it ready. Now, two years from now, we may take the whole assembly line and move it, but at least at this point, it's in the right hands for highly automated, highly skilled assembly. So in that regard, it's it's really good. And we'll be introducing the pump, yeah, I think it's September timeframe, and then we'll be showing it at GIE Expo, which is in Louisville in October. Well, with that skilled workforce and emphasis on automation, do you think Japan is going to become more of a focal point for production in this industry? Uh, I mean, I, I know it's already known for its great cars, um, but for for outdoor power equipment and the fuel pumps, the engines, um, all, all the rest of the insides of that equipment, do you think they're going to become more of a player? Are they already a big player? Well, within the Walbro umbrella, they're very much a player, but we use them for low-volume, high-mix, which means... The Asian market, there are many customers who will do small runs of products. Japan is perfect for that. That is their niche within our company today, and we don't see that changing. They have an aging workforce, so they're obviously taking the right steps to get the people trained as some of these people are retiring and then getting systems in place to have the right people doing the right work on this equipment. I don't see Walbro moving tons of, of product back into Japan as it's not a low-cost country, and much of this product is very price-sensitive. The, the dynamics in the partnerships, um, especially when they're between countries like that, uh, always interest me. Um, you know, there's always there's always so much to balance uh, the quality, the price, uh, how close it is to your um, your customers or even your distribution centers. You know, it's um, it's all very intricate. And speaking of these larger global sort of relationships. I know there have been a lot of recent tariffs that have affected the pricing on a variety of different products, um, especially in manufacturing. So I was wondering, are there any recent tariffs that have affected the pricing on these pumps at all? And has that led to more conversations at Walboro about maybe bringing the production of these pumps or other products in your line in-house? And by in-house, I mean just in the States? Sure. Uh, well, the first one would be China, where we've had two separate tariffs immediately put on in the last six months. So for the most part, our customers are paying those tariffs because they're taking delivery of the product in China. We just dodged the tariff that they talked about. Here's been about, what, two weeks adding on tariff for product coming out of Mexico. That would have directly impacted pricing of the current FPC pump. 
But for the most part, it isn't tariffs that are driving some of the moves Walbro's having to make. It really has to do with the competitive nature of getting employees in various operations. So the the actual moves we're having to make are really more labor-related and wanting to have enough labor and not dealing with labor force that is leaving at certain times of the year. So Asia is a little more stable than North America at this point. When I say North America, it's not only the the United States, but Mexico. So those are kind of some of the moves that uh, we've been forced to make. Interesting. And by flexible workforce, what do you mean exactly? Do you mean just being able to work during specific seasons uh, of your, and I don't mean like weather seasons, but I mean like like seasons for when your products do well. And I mean, there are specific times of the year where you sell more of a certain product, you need labor to work on the manufacturing side of that product. So are you saying that in the States there is um, less flexibility? Uh, it's actually somewhat weather-driven, Daniel. Oh, it is weather-driven, in, okay. In, of all the crazy things, in Mexico, we are located in an agricultural area where when crops are coming in, people will then want to go to work, perhaps, working in farm situations. So, you know, we put a lot of measures in place. We just opened up the only uh, company-owned daycare in Mexico, and that was highly successful. I know MarketScale helped us with doing a video for that. Uh, big grand opening, and it's open only to our employees to be able to have their kids at work while they're working, which I've raised two kids and, uh, you know, balancing, you know, husband, wife, work, etc. What a relief that is for those employees. So that's some of the competitive things we're having to take on to keep that stable workforce in those environments. So with the majority of your business for these pumps coming from OEMs, I'm sure there are a lot of business conversations on on partnerships and, you know, why choose Walbro? Um, why is this product going to be better for our end user? Um, how is the aspect of curbing these evaporative emissions, to bring the conversation back to that, how does that influence these conversations with uh, OEMs? You know, is that something that they're asking more of, that they want products from uh, companies like Walbro that are more environmentally conscious? Uh, or is that something that you offer as sort of an added value that the manufacturers just can't resist? Well, the OEs are responsible for, you know, these diurnal losses. So they have to meet certain standards. So the more they can address them with, oh, it's a fuel pump, doesn't cost a lot, don't have to rip the engine up, that's better. Then maybe it's the fuel tank. It can fit in the same package. Um, That's another good option. And then maybe electronic fuel injection, although... You know, they get better fuel economy. Um, It's obviously better for the environment, but that comes maybe at a much higher price point. So we're just giving them some quick, easy options to try to help with their evaporative emissions. And they have to do what's called diurnal or shed testing, where they look at the entire package and they have to hit a certain number. This just helps with 
you know, be it the fuel pump, the tank, the carburetor, et cetera, you take a pick, you know, you, you, you decide which you want to take on to get to that total number. So Daniel, one other thing is we're talking about what we're giving those OEs and for an original equipment manufacturer, if they have any issues in their plant or in the field, they want to quickly be able to tie back to what was the date of manufacture of that product? Tell us everything you can about that product. Walbro is offering a QR code on the new FPF pump, which to the best of my knowledge, nobody else is offering. By scanning that QR code, the OE or a consumer could find out, first of all, the manufacturing date and time of that product, the serial number, the initials of the operator who, like I said, it's going to be one or two people manning that assembly line, as well as leak test data, suction test data, and then what's called a slow leak. So we can definitively go back and show the manufacturer or the consumer, here is what that fuel pump was when we sold it on this date. And then from there, they can determine what could have gone wrong if there is a problem at all. And a lot of times you'll get people, they're really not sure, but you can at least reassure them that that pump was built to OE manufacturing specifications. So that is very innovative for a product like this. I mean, yeah, any form of more open communication between you and the OEs is going to keep those partnerships thriving. And, uh, you know, then the the quality of the actual equipment, well, you know, that just becomes expected. And they really look to you more for those those extra added values that I think raise the customer service aspect of what you do, which I think is just as important. Exactly. Yeah. So I think we've just about hit everything. Bob, just kind of wrap up the conversation. Um, you know, as we look to the future of where these fuel pumps might go, uh, whether that is new markets or maybe new developments to the technology itself, how do you see Walbro continuing to be a key piece of the conversation for equipment that not only works and not only is flexible for the end user, but more importantly, keeps a focus on curbing emissions and being environmentally conscious? Well, we know that there's somebody out front of us in this market from a volume perspective, and we're looking to take a lot of that volume, and we're going to do it through innovation, giving the customers what they sometimes don't even know they need, be it curbing the evaporative emissions, which may or may not be on their radar as much as it should be, but then those added features, which is the improved manufacturing process, product coming out of a very well-controlled environment, as well as a QR code to give them all the data they could ever need if there's any issues further down the line. So we feel very strongly that this will put us in a leadership position, and that's what we will go after very aggressively. Well, Bob, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Talk and Shop. 
This has been a great second one for you, and I definitely think you qualify for a third episode. <laughs> so I'm gonna, I'm I'm definitely gonna start prepping for that next one, and I'm looking forward to getting your thought leadership on again. But till then, thank you so much for giving us this update on on the state of Walbro's fuel pumps, how they fit into the larger conversation of more efficient outdoor power equipment, um, as well as a larger conversation on curbing emissions. You know, it's it's of nationwide concern. Excellent. Well, thank you again, Daniel, and look forward to the next uh, podcast. And thank you, everyone, for listening to today's episode of Talk and Shop. And if you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, you can head to walbro.com slash blog, or you can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And make sure you leave a rating and a comment wherever you listen to your podcast content. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.